Cool. Oh, God, I pray that you use this message to build up your church, to encourage people, and use it, Father, to uh, reach people who do not know you. Take the words that you've given and the resources that you've provided and use for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I'm really excited to be meeting with you in this way here at Greenbelt Online. Before we jump into today's message, I just want to give a huge shout out and I just want to sing praises to all the amazing volunteers and staff here at Greenbelt Church. They have literally completely changed how we do church in just a matter of a couple of days, <laughs> how we care for people, how we ensure people are connecting and still going to life group, how we even worship together. Everything that kind of makes a church a church is completely different now because of the situation we find ourselves living in. So thank you so much to our amazing volunteers, to our wonderful staff. I love all of you, and I so appreciate the hard work that all of you have done this week. I believe God's going to use your work that we've done together as a church family for God's glory. If you're maybe joining us for the first time here at Greenbelt Online, my name is Kevin. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Greenbelt Church. And you might be joining us from our city of Ottawa, uh, or maybe just through random Google searches, you might be joining us from anywhere in the world. However you found your place, your way here, I just hope that you feel loved and welcomed and encouraged as we look to the Bible together. Um, because this really is unprecedented. Like I hear that word kind of thrown around on social media and on the news that the days we find ourselves are unprecedented. And as I was reflecting on that just before preparing this message, I'm like, I can't think of anything in my lifetime that remotely resembled what we're going through right now. Everything feels different. <laughs> And in the season of everything feeling different, when there's so much change happening, it can feel very overwhelming. It can feel overwhelming for me, for you, for so many of us. And so I want to start with reading a passage from the New Testament. This is written in a letter called Philippians. This was written by the Apostle Paul to the church. And this passage is going to be our theme verse for the next three weeks as we go through this series together called Not Afraid. So let me just read this theme verse for us together uh, today. This is what Paul writes to the church. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that that would become more and more real in all of our lives as we go through this series together. This is really a time when we could feel anxiety, feel worry, fear, and fear could really grip our hearts. 
We're living in a day where, again, unprecedented. We have the COVID-19 virus, which is kind of spreading all over the world. Stock markets are taking a hit. We're worried about our retirement funds. People giving into worry and panic. Professional sporting events stopping. Conferences stopping. Concerts are being canceled. We've even stopped the public gathering of churches around the world. We have travel bans, border closures, people not sure if they're going to be able to get back home. And to make it all worse, it's hard to find toilet paper in some places. Like It just seems like everything has gone crazy right now. And so in times like this, it would be so easy to give in to anxiety, to give in to fear. And if I was really honest, I would confess that it'd be very easy for me to give in to anxiety and to give in to fear. You see, I've actually struggled with anxiety for most of my life. I remember when I was a little kid, my family would go to McDonald's. And this was back in the day when if the kid wanted a toy, you didn't have to buy a Happy Meal. The toy was free. You could just get a toy. You would just ask for one. And so I had two younger sisters. One sister was three years younger than me, and the other sister was six years younger than me. And I was terrified to ask for the toy. I wouldn't do it. I would rather die than go up to that pimpled-faced teenager at the McDonald's counter and ask for my free toy. I would send my little sister, who was six years younger than me, to go ask for the toy. My sisters learned something very strategic in that stage of our lives, that they could get a toy real easy, and I wouldn't. And then they could mock me all the way home and tease me that the fact that they had a toy and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't right? Because I was too afraid, terrified of speaking to people. That actually continued for a lot of my childhood. I remember a number of times in my childhood where I would stop breathing because of panic in the middle of the night. And my parents would grab me. They would hold me over a steaming tub trying to get some more oxygen into me. A number of times I found myself in the hospital in one of those bubbles, kind of like you ever see the movie, like Bubble Boy. So I was in one of those bubbles, this oxygen bubble for days as the doctors ran multiple tests to try to figure out what was wrong with me. My lungs were healthy. My heart was healthy. Everything about me was healthy. Had no physical problems. (laughs) That was back in the 70s. We didn't know about worry and anxiety then. (laughs) When my wife and I first uh, got married, I I was incredibly worried that she was going to die. It was just one of those things that just gripped my heart all the time, that Danielle was going to die. So whenever Danielle would go somewhere, she'd go out with her girlfriends, I would say, could you just give me a call and let me know you got there? I even upgraded her phone. I got her one of those flip phones. You know, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, where you could text, but to text, you had to push the button six times to get to the letter that you want. I'm dating myself of how old I am right now. You kids have no clue what I'm talking about. Texting was terrible in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I'm giving this to my wife. Now, my wife's not crazy younger than me. She's four years younger than me, and she doesn't like technology. So I give her one of these phones. Just let me know you got there safe. And she goes out with her girlfriends, and she's having a great time, and I'm at home freaking out. She's dead. She's died. I'm going to have to start dating again. I hated dating. I got married so I would never have to date again. I hated dating. I was terrible at it. And, I, and just the panic would set in. 
And she'd come home all cute and bubbly. How was your evening? I'd be like all freaked out. Then we had kids. And boy, if you want to have panic attacks and anxiety, have, have children. Middle of the night, I'd wake up. I don't think they're breathing. I would wake up and just go into their room and put my hand on their chest just to make sure they were still breathing. And then I could go back to sleep. A couple of years ago, it actually got so bad that I was worried to turn on my computer because I was worried that I would receive emails from people not happy with the work I was doing in the church. And I was so afraid of answering my phone or answering emails for no good reason. I wasn't even getting those kind of emails or those kind of phone calls, but something just gripped. It is so easy for us to give in to worry, to give in to anxiety, and to let fear grip our hearts. So what I want to do is as we kick this series off, I want to look at a passage in the Old Testament. And I want to look at the life of one of Israel's most famous prophets, a man named Elijah. Now, if you're not familiar with who Elijah is, again, he was one of Israel's most famous, if not one of their most dramatic prophets. Elijah had predicted the beginning and end of a three-year drought. God used Elijah to resurrect a dead child. Elijah, at one point in his ministry, stood up. He stood his ground against 850 prophets of pagan gods, right? The god Baal and the god, the god Asherah, these prophets of these pagan gods. Elijah stood his ground and battled and went to war with them and defeated them. Now, there was, at the time, there was this king, king of Israel named Ahab. Ahab is famous for being one of the most evil kings to ever rule Israel. He was married to a non-Jewish woman, Queen Jezebel. And the queen had gotten the king to move Israel away from the worship of God to the worship of Baal, to these pagan gods, God's chosen people his selected people that he's been working through for generations, and they drift away and begin worshiping and following other gods. And the king, for whatever reason, he he just wasn't standing up to Elijah, so Queen Jezebel took it upon herself and threatened the life of Elijah. Now here is this man who had been used by God, who'd been empowered by God, who's been in battle in the name of God and has been victorious, and this evil queen is able to completely demoralize him, completely get him running for his life. And then we see in the text that we're going to read that this puts Elijah into a tailspin of worry, of anxiety, of depression, of fear, because of this threat against his life. Someone who was so close to God, one event... (laughs) derails it all. One phone call, one email, one news report, one Twitter feed, one virus can so grip us so easily. So let's look here at how Elijah responds to this fear. I'm reading from 
an Old Testament book called First Kings. I'm reading from chapter 19. I'm going to start reading here in verse 3. And I always got to remember to put the glasses on because the text just comes alive when I put my glasses on. <laughs> Here's what how Elijah responds to the situation that he finds himself in with Queen Jezebel. It says in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. He gives up. He can't take it anymore. And we can do that too, right? You know, we work and we work and we work. We can't get ahead. There's this situation, that situation. I mean, social, you know, social distancing sounds awesome, especially for us introverted type people. It's great for week one, week two, three, eight. Suddenly we can't take it anymore. Anxiety, fear, and worry, right? And what we see in this very short passage from 1 Kings chapter 19 is we see Elijah making some very common mistakes. The mistakes that Elijah makes in this passage are no different than the mistakes that you and I make in our own lives when difficult situations come our way. So I want us to look closely at those four mistakes that Elijah makes. We'll look at our own lives See if we make some of these or all of these. I know in my case. But then how does Elijah meet with God after the fact? So the first thing that we learn about Elijah, the big mistake that he made, that we make, is we run ourselves into the ground. We run ourselves into the ground. Like here in verse 3, it talks about Elijah. He was afraid, so he ran for his life. And then he came to Beersheba in Judah. Now, you might not be familiar with the geography of ancient um, Judah, of ancient Israel. So this running away from where Elijah was to where he goes to is about the equivalent of about 100 miles. So he takes off. He goes as far as his feet will carry him because he basically gets to the water. He gets to the sea. Like after that, there's no more running. It turns into swimming. <laughs> he goes as far as he can go. Right? He couldn't go any further. He runs himself into the ground. When I actually look back on the moments in my life when anxiety and fear have gripped me the most, it's very, very rarely the situation that I'm in in the moment. Very rarely. But if I reflect back, and I actually got this advice from a counselor of mine, is what got me to that moment? What happened before that, the weeks and the months ahead? I shared with you kind of that, that time when this fear was just kind of gripping me a couple of years ago here at the church. In that moment, in our ministry as a church, everything was going amazing. We were rolling out new services. We were reaching more people. People were coming to faith in Jesus. We were baptizing more people. It was an incredible time of ministry. It was also one of the busiest times of ministry for me. 
Now, I'm not saying this to like have a pity party or anything. I'm just sharing my personal experiences. I actually allowed myself to run myself into the ground. I had taken on too many weddings, too many funerals, too much marriage counseling, too much pastoral care, because I just was like just on fire for everything that was going on. You see, my default is to not rest. You see, my brain is always like, like all night long. Like I'm always thinking, I'm always dreaming, I'm always tinkering. I very, very have a, I have such a hard time to relax. And in those moments of fear, when something triggers it, something hits, for me, it's usually been because I ran myself into the ground beforehand. That's a mistake that a lot of us make. That we run in so crazy. The speed of the culture that we live in today, the demands on our work from our work, our family, our hobbies, all these things, social media, everything is just go, go, go. We run ourselves into the ground. That's a mistake. The second mistake that we see Elijah make from this text is that we shut people out. We shut people out. We read in the text here that Elijah left his servant. And then he went out into the wilderness alone. Now, this word here, servant, we we tend to think of that as kind of like a slave, someone who works for us. But in Elijah's context, like this servant would be his most trusted companion. It was the person who was caring for him, who was assisting his ministry. It was the person that he was the closest with. And he takes the person that he is the closest with, his trusted servant, and ditches them to go off into the wilderness alone. I'm actually a lot more introverted than people think I am, right? Because I'm comfortable kind of talking to like, you know, congregations and crowds and because I'm comfortable in front of a camera, people just assume that I'm like this natural extrovert. But my default is actually the exact opposite. It is very easy for me to distance myself from people. It is very easy for me to shut people out, to not really let them know what's going on in my heart, to not let people in to kind of those private parts of our lives. Right? That's why as a church, we so push and encourage life groups. Our life group ministry is the heart of our church. It's that we want everyone every teenager, every man, every woman, to be connected with a few people. I think there's this myth in the church where we believe that everyone is supposed to know everybody's business and everybody's supposed to know everybody intimately. That's not true. But everybody has to be known by somebody. Even the most introverted of people like me has a couple of people who are close, who know what's going on have permission to speak into my life, right? Because the default is to shut people out. And in this season of self-isolation and social distancing, oh my goodness, I think we have a huge opportunity for people to be way too alone. And that's why our life group ministry is changing how we do it. We're making it available through technology that all of our groups can meet via video conferencing, Keep those weekly meetings happen, happening. Keep texting each other. Keep emailing each other. And for people who don't have computers, 
don't have the internet, they can actually call in and still participate in one of those groups. So that's why in the link above me, there's something that says life group. You can click that link right now. If you're not in a group, find one that fits your schedule. It will send an email to the leader. They will reach out to you to help you make sure you don't shut people out in this time of isolation and a time when worry and fear and anxiety could grip our hearts. So we run ourselves into the ground. We shut people out. The third thing we we see from Elijah is we focus on the negative. (laughs) We focus on the negative. Right, Elijah's words here, when he comes to the end of himself, he finds this bush, he sits under it, he prays, doesn't pray that the situation would die, uh, go away, he doesn't pray for God's peace that surpasses all understanding, he prays, Lord, I've had enough, I want to die, I am no better than my ancestors. And isn't that what we tend to do when life gets hard, <laughs> when things are uncomfortable, <laughs> when there's some challenges that we face, when there's stuff going on that we don't like? <laughs> we tend to become very negative. I think right now, it, again, with the situation that we find ourselves in with the COVID-19 virus, the, the self-isolation, the social distancing, like I've, I'm a social media junkie. I've been using social media when a lot of these platforms were still in beta. I've been kind of an early adopter on a lot of these tools and technology. And I can't remember my social media, media ever being more negative than it is right now. It's so negative. The accusations against government, the accusations against this, the blaming of this, the woe is me about that. And it's just snowballing right now. (laughs) I would like to see in my Twitter feed and my Instagram feed a few more kittens. Maybe take a picture of what you're going to have for lunch today. You know, just try to lighten the mood a little bit. But it is so easy especially in a time like right now, to focus on the negative. Run ourselves into the ground, shut people out, focus on the negatives, and then I think the biggest mistake that Elijah made is the biggest mistake that I have made in my life, and I'm willing to bet it's the biggest mistake that you have made in your life, is that we forget God. We forget God. You see, As a prophet of God, Elijah's life was completely filled with the presence and the power of God. (laughs) You see, he saw miracles. He received God's provision when there was no food. Food came to him. He saw God resurrect the dead. (laughs) He saw God have power over these enemy armies of his. He had seen so many incredible things. And yet, when he faces this problem against this evil queen, it's like he's completely forgotten everything that God has done before. He forgets God. What's really fascinating about Elijah is that his name itself should remind him about who God is. See, a lot of the Hebrew names are about who they are as a person, Right? And Elijah's name is built from kind of three different short words, Hebrew words come together. Right? The L is short for the Elohim, right? it being God. Then you have the I being mine, 
I, mine. And then the Yah, the Elijah, is, from, is a short of, of, of Yahweh, of Jehovah. And now Jehovah was just such a powerful name in the Hebrew people that they wouldn't even write it all down. <laughs> right? And so this Elijah is this idea that my God is Yahweh. <laughs> His name itself reminds him of the power and the scope of the nature of God. That God is his source. That God is his strength. That God is his very breath. His name alone should remind him just how much and how powerful and how close God is to him. And we can look at this and go, oh, man, that Elijah, what a moron. (laughs) What an idiot. I would never do that. You see, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I've been going to church for a long time. Elijah just needs more faith. If he would have just prayed a little bit more, if he would have just maybe, you know, kept all the rules and the traditions that we build in church, he would have been okay. But we all do it. I've done it. We forget God, especially in times of trouble especially in times of worry, especially in times of the unknown. We don't like the unknown. I don't like the unknown. I, I, I got to know what's going on. I have decisions that I need to make for my church, for my family, for my bank account, for my kids' college, all these things. I've got to make decisions. <laughs> and not knowing... Uh, can drive us all a little crazy. Four mistakes we make. Run ourselves into the ground. Shut people out. Focus on the negative and forget about God. Elijah did it. I've done it. We all do it. So how do God respond to Elijah's situation here? Right? Because God shows up and meets Elijah in his greatest time of need. When Elijah's completely gripped by fear and anxiety and depression and everything that he's struggling with, God shows up. And let's look at how God shows up in Elijah's life, reading in 1 Kings chapter 19, down in verse 11. The Lord said, so he's saying this to Elijah, Go and stand on the mountain, on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. This is very similar to a situation A long time ago was Moses, when God was going to come and pass by Moses. God is about to do the same thing for Elijah. God's presence is going to come. God's going to come and pass by. And then it continues. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the wind. In the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. God is in 
the whisper. I think so often in times of trouble, in times of uncertainty, we're looking for the big. God, just do the huge. Wipe out the virus. Change this. Correct that. Make this person decide. We want the huge, powerful display of God. But this passage is a reminder for me that this huge wind, I'm talking like this is wind that the Bible says actually moved rock. That's a pretty strong wind. And in that powerful display of nature, God wasn't there. In the earthquake that could shatter a mountain in two, God wasn't there. In fire that could completely consume the countryside and wipe out an entire forest, God wasn't there. But the gentle whisper, God was in that. See, God isn't always in this big, huge thing. God is in the ordinary. God is in the whisper. And in times of worry, in times of anxiety, it could feel like God is far because we're not seeing the big. But God wants to meet with us in the whisper. And you might be wondering, why does God whisper? Why doesn't he just shout? Why doesn't he just do these big giant things? Well, God whispers because he's close. I mean, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote in our kind of theme passage here in Philippians chapter 4. See, when Paul wrote this, he is in jail, right? He used to be this famous religious leader in, 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 in Israel, and he becomes a Christian. He puts his faith in Jesus because he has a supernatural encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He goes all over the known world, raising up leaders, raising up pastors, starting new churches. And people didn't like this. <laughs> didn't like this message that Jesus is the way to God. And so he's in prison for this. And while chained to the wall, wondering if he's going to die, Paul writes these words, rejoice. Rejoice. Always. I say it again. Rejoice. In your social distancing, week one, rejoice. Week six, rejoice. Why? Look what he says here in verse five. The Lord is near. God's not far. Man, when we think God is so far away and God is distant and God could never love me or God could never do this, if God only knew what was really going on in my life. See, all these doubts and these things that we have about God, God knows all of those already. <laughs> You're not keeping any secrets from him. He's God. And yet, even in that, God is close. God comes to us in a whisper. See, over the years, in my personal struggle with anxiety, it's never been the change of the situation that has calmed my fears. 
In fact, the situations very rarely change. And in the rare times when the situations change, well, guess what? There's just another situation to deal with the next day. <laughs> we go through life situation after situation after situation. <laughs> right? There's no paradise yet. It's coming one day, but we're not in it. <laughs> right? It's not in the changing of the situation. It's the change of my posture. It's a change of my posture where I stop running myself into the ground. I stop pushing people away. I stop focusing on the negative. I stop forgetting that God is near. And he wants to whisper into my life, into your life, whatever you're going through right now. There's a weird part of me that actually sees social distancing as a gift. In our crazy, busy culture, you have been given the gift to be still and to hear the whisper of God. Because in this situation, whatever you're struggling with, whether you're worried about your work, whether you're worried about your education, whether you're worried about your health, God is close. And now some of you might be saying, well, hey, that's great for you, Pastor Kevin, to believe that you're a pastor. You've believed this your whole life. You were raised in this. And I just don't have the same worldview that you have. Well, if you think that's my position, I just want to share just a little bit more of my story before we wrap up. And the reality is, is I spent the larger part of my life um, hating the church, thinking God was a joke, and wanting nothing to do with the Christian faith. <laughs> You see, I had no need for the Christian faith. My life was awesome. I was engaged, married to an amazing woman. I had an incredible job traveling around the world. I had every blessing I could want or imagine. And I was online. I was on the Internet in 1997. And through an online chat group, I met a bunch of Christians who put groups together to play online video games. We used to play this old Star Wars video game called Jedi Knight, where you go in an arena and you battle it out. And I used to play with a group of people, and they would cheat, and they would hack, and they would cuss and swear, and I just hated it. I just want to play this game. So I found this group. They're a bunch of Christian guys. Honesty, integrity, no cheating, no swearing, encouraging, helping other people level up in the game. Never met people like that before in my life online. And this is again, remember, this is back in the day when there was no online, right? Like the only people online were nerds like me. Okay. It wasn't like everybody being online in 1997. And I met this group and through their resources, I learned about Jesus. Now, see, I thought I knew Jesus because I was kind of raised to believe that Jesus hated me. That Jesus was mad at me because I was a fidgety kid in school. I had a hard time listening. I didn't do very good in school. And so because I was fidgety, because I couldn't listen, well, God didn't like me. And if I was a good boy, then God would love me. And I learned something very different from this group online, that Jesus loved me. And he loved me so much that he would die for me. And that he loved me so much that he would prove to me that he was God by being raised from the dead. 
and that he would go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit to come and live in me and make me new because he loved me. And I heard that message and I said, what a joke. So I bought a Bible and I read it on my commute every day. I used to have a train ride, hour to work, hour home from work, two hours every day, read the Bible in about a month and a half. And then I realized just by sitting in God's word, it spoke to my heart. And the words of Jesus jumped out when Jesus said this. He said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. He said, I do not give to you as the world gives. All the things I was pursuing, all the things I was running after, all the things that I thought would bring peace to my anxiety, none of it would work. And then Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because the Lord is near. And on that train ride, while I was living in Montreal at the time with a Bible in my hands, by myself, I prayed, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I give you my life. Send me anywhere, any place, any time. And on that train, my life changed. The peace of God that Paul calls here, that transcends all understanding, came into my life. And I've been willing to go wherever God sends me and to share this message of Jesus with any opportunity that I have. And I just want to speak to you right now. Whatever you're going through in this situation of self-isolation, in this situation with the COVID-19 virus, if you're here in our city, if you're around the world, I want you to know that God is close. That God is near. And God loves you. And you can experience the peace of God by praying in the same way that I prayed, by simply saying, Jesus, today I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Come into my life. I give you my life. Make me new. And if you pray that, there's a banner right below me right now. If you would just click on that and let us know that you've prayed that prayer, it's going to bring up a pop-up. And if you're comfortable doing this, it's going to ask for some basic information. We would love to follow up with you. We would love to send some free resources to you to equip you and to bless you on this new relationship with Jesus. And we'll send that anywhere around the world. So please just fill out that form that popped up. And I just pray as we kick off this series of knowledge, not afraid together that you would be reminded of how close God is, that he loves you and that he is with you. Let's pray together. Father God, in this season of uncertainty, there is one thing that we know for sure is that you are close and that you are here. And Father God, I pray for this online experience and I pray for the churches around our city and around the world that are trying to be strategic right now. God, none of this surprised you. None of this concerned you or none of this worried you because <laughs> you knew it was coming and you've prepared the church for such a time as this. When the Apostle Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. <laughs> I pray that our city officials would see that in us, in the church. I, see, I pray that our politicians would see that from the Christians in the church. <laughs> and Father, I pray that you would empower your church to not be anxious. 
that we would rejoice in the mission that you've called us to and that we would see more and more people know the closeness of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in this way.